Hey everyone, this is Isaac Maddox, and I'm the pastor of Activate Church, and this is our podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, builds your faith, and I hope you enjoy the message. Well, if it's your first time here, welcome to Activate Church. Uh, if you've been coming here for quite some time, we love you. Thanks for making your way in on a beautiful Sunday. Um, we are excited to have you in. Uh, Pastor Isaac and Carrie are out of town, but uh, if you're looking for a place to call your home, this is certainly a great place. They did not pay me to say that. We've been here for about like eight and a half years, my wife and I, and we absolutely love this home, love the pastoral team and, and everybody in here. So I, uh, I get the privilege of sharing with you today uh, a word that I feel like the Lord's really put deep down in my bones, uh, something that he spoke to me. Um, I'm not going to share something with you that I just heard somebody else share. Uh, I'm not going to come up here and share some teaching that I heard somebody uh, tell me one time. I'm going to share you exactly what the Lord's been showing me. And I do believe that this is a now word. It's a word for us. It's a word for me. It's a word for you. And, and it's an encouraging word, but it's a little bit of a deeper word. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of buckle up, uh, get your Bible out. Uh, hopefully this one hits home. Uh, I know it's done it for me. So um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, being a captive and being a prisoner. It sounds like a fun topic for a Sunday. Captive and prisoner. That's exactly what you're looking for, I know. Um, Yeah, being a captive, being a prisoner, two different things. And, you know, whenever you're putting together a message, uh, you try to think about your own life and some experiences you have. So I I, I wanted to open up uh, about my time in prison. It's like, who is this on stage? Yeah, yeah, my time in prison. Um, So when I was 18 years old, kind of a funny story, although going to prison is never funny. Um, I was at the beach uh, with my brother and his uh, his friend, and I was driving him to the casino. I was their DD. Uh, I was unsaved, so don't judge me, okay? Um, But I was driving around town and kind of speeding, you know, around Lincoln City, and I get pulled over. And uh, I tell them, I'm like, it's all good. I got this. Don't worry. I'll get you guys to the casino. I got nothing on my record. And uh, officer pulls me over, and he's like, license, insurance, registration. I grab my paperwork out, and I give it to him. I'm like, here you go, officer. I'll just wait for you to come quickly back, uh, and then we can be on our merry way, maybe with a ticket, maybe without. And uh, he's back in the car, and it's like five minutes. And this is when, as the driver, you start to get a little nervous. You're like, What's taking so long, right? And then you kind of see him pulling up his thing. He's like, oh, we got a Roger 5. You know, we got him, in the, uh, got him in the car right now. Yep, you want me to bring him in? You're kind of watching this all happen, and I'm thinking, all right, this is either going to be really good or really bad. You know, m- maybe he knows me somehow through a friend or something weird. You try to be optimistic, right? Uh, so he comes back out of the car, and he's like, if I get you to step outside, I'm like, oh, shoot, really? This is happening? He says, yeah, if you could put your hands on the vehicle. He starts to do the full pat down. I won't bother you with, you know, what that looked like. But he's giving me the full pat down, and, and I'm kind of like, well, what's, what's the problem? What's the problem? He says, you have an unpaid ticket. Uh, and so they, they, they released a warrant out for your arrest for your unpaid ticket. And so he put me in cuffs, and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, man, this is just a horrible way. I'm on vacation. I'm supposed to be enjoying myself back at the house, partying. And uh, as they're cuffing me, I remember popping my head in the window, looking at my older brother, and I'm like, look, go get dad. 
go get dad and have him, you know, pay my bail and get me out of here. Go pay, go, go get dad immediately. And he looked at me, he's like, yep, I'll go get dad right away. I'll get dad. And, um, I kind of give him this stern look like you better do it. I'm going to beat you up. Uh, so I go to, to jail and then I get there and they're doing the, the, the full strip down. Right, if you've never been there, uh, it's not an exciting thing. Two, two people sit there and watch you do this, making sure you've got no uh, items on you in places. Uh, and it put me in the jumpsuit. I'm like, is this really happening because of a parking ticket? So listen, pay your tickets. Um, so so I, I, I went in to there, and then they're like, oh, we're going to move you to the other prison. I'm like, you're moving me from this, yeah, this is the city, because it's a county that had the warrant out. So they moved me to Newport County, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, just counting the minutes, I'm like, you know, my dad's going to be here soon to come get me. He's going to pay my bail. It'll be probably pretty soon. It's like two in the afternoon, and, um, you know, one hour went by, then two hours went by, and then five hours went by, six hours went by, and then right about that time is when people start coming in from the real world, and uh, there was this guy that had it out for me, I swear to you. He, he really, he would look at me through the corner of his cell, <clears throat> so I'm kind of like looking out here, like, when's my dad coming? I gotta get out of here, and then I look over there, and every time he's like staring at me, and, you know, he's got a crazy look. I'm, I'm thinking he's probably on LSD or something, but he'd be like, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, I'm like, I kind of look at him. I'm thinking, how strong are these bars here to keep me back? Uh, after a few death threats, I did ask the bailiff if I could have something to read. He gave me a Bible. Yeah, but I didn't really read too much. I started reading. I'm like, none of this makes any sense. Uh, God, if you're real up there, I need you to get me out of prison. I wanted out of prison. That's all I wanted. Um, but, you know, I, I, uh, I ended up getting picked up the next afternoon. And then I asked my brother, I'm like, what happened? Like, why did you leave me in prison for over 24 hours? He says, well, when we drove out of there and we were going back to the, to the cabin, uh, we met a few cute girls at the gas station. And they said, hey, do you want to come down to the beach and go hang out? And he was like, so one thing led to the other. And next thing I know, we're doing a bonfire. And then we're sleeping on the sand. And it was a great night. Wish you were there. And I'm like, you son of a gun. Except for I said other explicitives that I won't share up here on stage. I never cuss. Never. I'm just joking. So, so today, I, <laughs> uh, today I do want to share a little bit about prison and the captives, though. Um, I feel like it's an important, it's, it's a now message, right? It's a now message because life's been hard. These last couple of years have just been hard. I don't know. I, I, I hear the stories from, from coworkers. I hear the stories from church. I hear the stories from friends and family. Uh, this has just been a hard season. I don't know. Like You're kind of just like, when will this end? When will it get easy again? Like you look back at like pre-COVID, pre-everything, and it was like, my goodness, life was good. Now it's like, oh, it's a grind. But uh, we're getting stronger because of it, right? We're growing because of it. It's a good thing, not just a positive spin. Uh, But I do believe sometimes when you go through hardship, um, we have the tendency sometimes to walk out or get tied to it uh, with some negative ramifications, and I feel like God wants to speak to that. So I, I, I want to I open up the very first things that Jesus actually like spoke about, the words that were prophesied about. It's the first time Jesus kind of made his public announcement that he's coming out uh, as Messiah, but you just didn't know it yet. So he, he opens up the scrolls, and he goes to read Isaiah 61.1. If you grab your word out, 
Um, you can use your cell phone. You can write down notes, but make sure you're getting this down. Isaiah 61.1. Uh, this is Jesus, right? Um, speaking through Isaiah the prophet, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, pray, to proclaim release to captives, and freedom to prisoners. Right? If those two were the same thing, Jesus would have said so. But they are ultimately very, very different, both the captive and the prisoner. And today I want to touch on them because they are intimate and they are different from each other. So by definition, the captive, right, it's involuntary, right? You didn't do anything. Held under the control of another, yet having the, the appearance of independence, free choice or departure is difficult, So this isn't something you did, it was done to you. Uh, You were taken away and swept off to captivity. Uh, It could have been something way far in the past, it could be now. You're living in that. Prisoner is different altogether. A prisoner is somebody who's sentenced, deprived of liberty, confined involuntarily, held in custody to serve justice. So this is something that you've done. So I don't know. I could be the only sinner in here that's done bad things, but I have a feeling that I'm not. Uh, Plenty of things I've done that I totally regret. And prisoner and captive both have a little bit of a different way to get them out. Amen? So I want to talk a little bit about Joseph, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul. So if you just close your eyes, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we will get right into the word. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't mince words. Thank you, God, that your word is anointing. Thank you, God, that you are all-powerful. You search all hearts. You know all minds. Nothing gets past you. Father, I thank you that there isn't a single person today in this auditorium or online, God, Lord, that isn't listening by their own free will, God. They're listening by your volition, God. You've led them to be here. You've led them to listen. And God, I pray right now that there be open hearts, open minds, open eyes, God, and that you would set the prisoner free and that you would set the captive free, Lord, in our hearts, whether we know we're that or we don't. Holy Spirit, reveal it to us now underneath the anointing of your word right now. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So let's jump into Joseph. Does everybody, has everybody heard of Joseph? This, this was a checkpoint for my wife and I. We were youth pastors here for like three years, right? Um, one of the kids afterwards, we were like, you guys, you guys know who David is, right? Who's David? Like, oh gosh, we are failing the youth group. They don't even know who King David is. Joseph is one of those kind of famous guys, one of the famous guys. So, so let's go into the book of Genesis 37, uh, 3 through 5. And it says, now Israel, right, which is Jacob. He just has a name change, Joseph's dad. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a multicolored tunic. And his brothers saw that his fathers loved him more than all of his brothers. And so they hated him and not, could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Good news. So, so Joseph 17, I think the reason why his brothers hated him, as it says in the word, is because his father loved him a lot more than the other brothers. But it's not because he was just cooler. Uh, it was because of his mother. Right? So... 
Jacob had two wives. One was by the name of Leah. You guys are like, this is so boring. It's good. So Leah, Leah was industrious. She was, she was not as beautiful as Rachel, the other wife. Uh, but she, she had eight kids, which was, this was really important back then. Rachel couldn't get pregnant. And Rachel eventually had a son by the name of Joseph. And so Jacob was so pumped. He was like, you know, shoot, my, my 10 out of 10 wife finally gave me a kid. And the other wife, uh, well, she's given me eight. You guys are like, what a hater. No, it's okay, it's okay. So, so he did. He, he loved, loved him a lot. And he made him a really nice tunic to put on his head. It was multicolored. His brothers hated him because though they're like, oh, yeah, look at you, you know, all special and all, you know, with Rachel as your mom, right? They hated him because the favor on his life, because the goodness on his life, because the calling on his life. Things only got worse when God began to reveal himself to Joseph in dreams. Joseph had two different dreams. And each of these dreams, he, he was set apart and Everybody bowed down to him. They were both symbolic. And the brothers were like, oh, so, you know, like, we're just all going to, we're all going to bow down to you, Joseph, someday. Is that what the, that what the Lord's saying? He's like, well, I don't know. Maybe. And then he had another dream. This one was mom and dad in there, too, and they're bowing down to him. So they literally hated Joseph. Didn't like Joseph at all. And it wasn't even Joseph's fault, but he got a lot of hate, right? So let's continue to Genesis uh, 37. So they created a plan. They were just going to axe him. They're going to kill baby brother. They're going to wipe him out. I mean, these people are pretty bad, pretty vindictive. So when they saw him from a distance, and before he came closer to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now then, come and let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. They don't mince any words. And we will say, a vicious animal devoured him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. And then in 23, it says, So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped him of his tunic, the multicolored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty and without water in it. So if you could imagine, Joseph's only 17. All of his big brothers, right? These are the people that are supposed to be protecting him. Uh, his dad sent him to go find them. They were out and about in the hills doing some shepherd work. And he, all he did was obey his dad. And he rolls up and he's like, what's up, guys? And they're like, whoa, what's up, Joseph? And he's like, yeah, dad told me to come get you. Uh, he wants you to come back. And the brother's like, yeah, it's good. We, we wanted to talk to you too. And he's like, oh, you want to talk to me, huh? Yeah, come on over here. Wow, that's a really deep looking ditch. Yeah, you're going to, you, you know, it's, it's, it's really nice. It's custom. And they just shove him right in, right? And, and the Bible says, in the next verse, they sat down and had lunch. Who are these wicked people? I'm like, that's what jealousy does. That's what, that's what, that's what this, like, bitterness does. That's what hatred does. It grows in you. And so these brothers, they've been, they've been looking for a time to get him for quite some time. And so when they shoved him in there, they sat outside. They had lunch. They were quite heartless, right? And, and I'm sure Joseph's like, what gives? Hey, can you guys get me out of here? You know, crying out for help from the pit. And his brothers were of no help. They refused to do it. They waited until they saw a slave trader come in. And the slave trader comes in. And now they can get him out. They get him out and they sell their brother off. Sell their brother off. They go back to their dad and they tell him the bad news. And he's really heartbroken about this. But Joseph, who did nothing wrong, has now went from the father's beloved, uh, completely free, 
to now a slave and a nobody. And he did nothing wrong, did nothing to deserve this other than obey his father. Pretty, pretty bad. Now, at this time, if, if you're Joseph, if you could put yourself in his shoes, you'd probably be feeling like taken advantage of. Like they wronged me. They, they did me. They did me so dirty, my brothers did. And I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to find a way at some point in time in my life to get these guys for doing what they did to me. They totally wronged me. I did nothing wrong. These are some of the thoughts that I could envision Joseph going through in his head. And he had every right to do it, right? That's the thing with bitterness. That's the thing with a victim mindset is you're entitled to this. Like you feel like you have a right to this. Like you did me so wrong that I have a right to be angry at you. I have a right to, to, to turn against you. But not Joseph. It says nothing in the text about Joseph uh, coming up with a plan to come back at them. Nothing at all about Joseph uh, trying to contrive some way to get his brothers back. So, so now Joseph's been sold into slavery. He's now in Egypt. And because of the favor of God on his life, he's worked his way up to become second in command in a, in a household uh, of the man who's over all the jail cells. Uh, it doesn't even sound all luxury. Over all the jail cells, Potiphar. He, 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 Potiphar was directly connected uh, to Pharaoh. He had a direct line to Pharaoh. But, but Joseph was so favored and so honoring that he got moved up into second command. So here's where it gets a little tricky. Now you go to Genesis 39, and it says, And it came about after these events that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, had her eyes on Joseph. And she said, Sleep with me. Not even beating around the bush. Just sleep with me. But he refused. This is integrity. This is, this, is, this is him saying, I'm going to do the right thing even if no one's around. But he refused. He said to his master's wife, look at me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put me in charge of all that he owns. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. And none of the people in the household were inside there. So she grabbed him by his garment saying, sleep with me. Twice. But he left his garment in her hand and fled, and he went outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So he's now went to prison twice. He's went to a pit, went to prison, and went to prison again. And he's done nothing wrong. This, this is when character becomes very challenging, right? Because God gave Joseph these prophetic words when he was a young man on purpose, right? You would think in God and all of his wisdom be like, I'm just not going to tell Joseph. That way he won't necessarily know. And eventually he'll make it there because I'm God. I'm all providential. I can figure everything out on my own. I'm going to put him in that powerful spot. But instead God's like, look, I'm going to give them to you at a young age so you'll know my word and you'll know that I'm going to get you there and you can hold me to my promises because things are going to get way off. I mean, way off path, right? Because if you're Joseph, you're like, all right, so I'm eventually going to be kind of second in command. Uh, God's going to give me all this favor. My family's going to bow down to me. Like, in Joseph's mind, it's like, I'm just going to just keep on serving my dad and I'm going to work my way up. But it just doesn't work like that in the kingdom, right? It's this roundabout that none of us like where character development happens, where your faith is tested, right? Where perseverance is laid out, where, where God literally 
teaches you and refines you to know who you are. Because what good is it to arrive at the place God's called you to be where your character can't keep you? And so God's like, I'm going to refine your character to a point where when you get where I called you to be, you'll be able to stay there because you're unwavering in the shadows, unwavering when no one's looking. My character will be refined in you. Amen. We hate the character development. We absolutely hate it. We're like, I want a straight shot. And he's like, but for the calling, I need this out of you. And you're not there. You can't see it yet. But these would be the very gaps and cracks that'll cause you to crumble later. So let's just do it. Joseph was surrendered to the call. So yes, Joseph absolutely at that point with Potiphar's wife could have been like, you know, yeah, I'm entitled to this. I didn't ask for it. She's asking me. You know, maybe I just need a little action, right? Maybe just a little action. I deserve it. They, they screwed me over. My brother, my brothers did. And, and then, then she kind of did a little bit. It's not my fault. This is that victim mindset. This is that, you know, woe is me. It's the, I can't believe this happened to me type of thinking. And what happens is, is it's always, it, it's, it's the little voice. Wow, geez, your brothers really did you bad. Man, those people lying about you, you're in prison twice. Man, you deserve this. You deserve it. You deserve it. But there was something about Joseph that he was unwilling to to compromise his character, unwilling to compromise the integrity of the call of God on his life because he's, he's, he's focused on what God's called him to be, amen? And so he was immovable. And so... So, so now Joseph is, is in prison, right? And this is when, for Joseph, it, it, it gets a little worse. Uh, so, so, so there's two people in prison with him that they document. One is the cupbearer for the king, right? So when they pour the king uh, some wine or whatever it is, he would taste it just to make sure someone's not trying to poison the king, Pharaoh. Uh, and then there was also the cook. The cook is in there, and um, they both had crazy dreams inside of prison. And uh, they're like, well, who can interpret these dreams? Well, Joseph's pretty good with dreams. Joseph says, all right, here's the interpretation for you, cupbearer. You are going to, in three days, be restored, and you're going to be right back with Pharaoh just fine. You'll be blessed. Uh, and as for you, chef, bad news. You're going to get killed. You're going to get waxed. No hope for you. And all of it came out to pass, right? So three days from then, they get a knock, and it's good news. Cupbearer, hey, you're coming back up to go before the king. And Joseph's like, hey, by the way, tell him about me. Get me out of here. Tell, tell Pharaoh that I'm the one that interpreted this for you. Tell him so that, that, that I can get out of jail because I've been wrongfully accused. Help me get out of here. So what does uh, uh, what, what what, what the cupbearer do? He goes back with Pharaoh, and just like my brother who forgot about me for prison overnight, okay? Shame on him. Um, he forgot about me for a day. Try two years. Two years, the cupbearer is up there hanging out with Pharaoh, like enjoying the life of hanging next to Pharaoh. Life's good when you're up there at the top. He forgot Joseph for two years. He had two more years in prison. 13 years total, hanging out in pits and prisons. Horrible. None of, his, n- none of this was because of bad behavior either. He could point to nothing and be like, well, I'm here because of me. So two years come to pass, and Pharaoh starts having bad dreams. 
And so Pharaoh starts having bad dreams, and he's like, who in all the land can decipher these dreams? And the cup is like, oh, shoot. I forgot. There's this guy in prison. Call for him. He's Joseph. So Joseph comes up, and Pharaoh's blown away. Joseph interprets the dreams and says, you're going to have seven years of, of a plenty, seven years of famine. Here's the strategy. Have people save a, a fifth of all their proceeds. Store it away for the bad years. The king's like, that's brilliant. You're now second in charge of all of Egypt. That would be like getting put into the vice presidential role of the United States of America. That's how big of an upgrade that is from, from the prison to the VP of the United States. Right? He's now been bumped up and elevated to that level. Why? Integrity. He refused to budge, refused to allow the poison of what had happened to him, cause him from missing out what God had called him and predestined him to accomplish. Amen? So the famine hits, and the brothers, his brothers that did him in, they're like, we got to go. We have to go to Pharaoh. The problem is that they don't know that Joseph's second in command. And so they go marching out to Egypt, and they go and stand before Joseph, and Joseph's like, who are you? And he realized it was, these are his brothers. These are the guys that, that, that threw him in the pit. These are the ones that sold him into slavery. These are the ones that, that supremely did him wrong. And, and he says, well, what can I do for you? And they said, well, we need to buy grain. We're in famine and we're starving. And he's like, oh, so you want to buy some grain. Okay, good. Uh, tell me about uh, who, who else is with you. And they're like, it's just us. And he's like, is there anybody else there? He says, well, we have our father. And he's like, is your father okay? Tell me about your father. And they say, well, he's good. You know, he's doing well. He's heartbroken because years ago he lost his son. And, and, and three different times in this section, it, Joseph has to turn away because it's so emotional for him. So hard. He was still tender to his brothers, even though they did him wrong. And, and he asks, he says, well, is there anybody else? They said, well, there's the young lad. Joseph's little brother, Benjamin. And he says, all right, we'll do, we'll do this whole feed thing. We'll get, we'll get some grains for you and the family. Uh, we'll keep one of your brothers here, and we're going to send you back, and I want you to come back with your dad and with your little brother. And it's this, like, when, when the father comes back and there's that restoration and he sees his little brother, it's such an emotional moment. It's like a climax. The Hallmark movies have got nothing on this section of text. It's so good. It's so rich, so vivid. I mean, I sat there this last weekend. My kids kept coming in the room, like, studying, and I'm just, like, tears are gushing down my face. They're like, are you okay, Daddy? I'm like, it's, it's, it's just this moment. Joseph and his brothers, because what it is is it's the heart of God. It's restoration. It's, it's, it's integrity and not allowing things to hold you back. That's what this looks like. That's what it looks like. And so his brothers, they're, they're now standing before Joseph. And it says in Genesis 50, it says, Joseph said to them, he says, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? They thought he was going to throw them in prison. They thought he was going to punish them. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. You see, when bad things happen to you, you can't control that. It's a facade to think that you're in control of your life. It is complete fantasy. Complete fantasy. Control for your life really works out well when things turn out well. We want an equation with God, but it doesn't work that way. He refuses to be boxed in that way. The only thing that you can be in control of is your response. 
That's the, the, the title. I'm finally free because I choose to be. Right? There's a choice Joseph had. Joseph could have lived imprisoned for a heck of a long, longer than 13 years because Joseph could have still been in prison until the day he died on the inside. Joseph wasn't just freed even though he was in prison. He was freed internally, which made prison altogether not that bad. Because to live free but be imprisoned here is a horrible way to live. Amen? But a lot of folks live this way. It's victim mentality. It's you looking at a situation that's occurred, that's been done to you, and you saying, I am justified perfectly to be bitter. Justified perfectly to not forgive. Justified perfectly to hold a grudge. But not Joseph. He made a choice. And you hear, you hear as he says, he says, what you meant for me was evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring this present result to keep many people alive. You see, I, I, I teach this to my sons. And daughter, like we talk about this a lot in the house. Like when you go through a hard thing, hard, it's out of your hands. Like you can't control like death or hardship or loss. It's just painful and agonizing. You can't control that. But what you can control is your response to that. And when we make a choice that we're not going to imprison ourselves to be stuck and confined as a captive, God says, I will reward you with a key. Now, that key is a very precious key to God. Right? My goal is to be like a janitor by the time I get older. I mean, a huge ring with keys all around. Okay, because each one of those keys is precious. It's expensive. You see, if you go through something hard, right, and you, and you stand in it and you don't run from it, but you position yourself in it and you invite God to come in the middle of it and you let him minister to you in it and through it and help you move forward versus just trying to get out of it, he will give you a key. That key is not just for you. See, that key is for somebody else who's in the same thing as you. You can't help get them out if you're locked up yourself. My challenge, our, our challenge, is when something's happened to you, are you declaring that God's going to turn this out for the good? Is your response to how you were treated as a child in a relationship? Maybe you were done wrong at work. Maybe bad things happened that were out of your control that, not, that wasn't your fault. Have you got to a point where you say, God, I prophesy to this thing. I speak to this thing. I am not going to sit here and be kept captive to this thing any longer. You are sovereign, and you're going to use this for the good. And I love it. At the very end, it says, to keep many people alive. Your key isn't just for you. It's for others. You're holding the key of somebody else's freedom. That's the job of the church. We should be the very best at holding keys. You should literally, as a church member, we should be like, oh, you... So-and-so's got a key for that. Broken marriage. Oh, I know somebody who went through that, almost got a divorce, but yet they asked God to come into the middle of it. They got a key. Get them involved. They'll help unlock them. That's what the church is meant to be. We're supposed to be key bearers, key holders, instead of just sitting there saying, wow, geez, God, I wish you would have not allowed me to go through that. That's horrible. That sucks. That, that's what the world does. But God, you're partner with Lord God most high. Elohim, like you, you are over that. You have a dominion over that. God wants to give you victory in that. Amen? Amen? I hope you're hearing from me. So that's captivity. Not your fault. And I know, I, I know to some extent what that's like to go through something like that. But I also know 
when you, when you do right and you position yourself and you allow God to come into the middle of it, I know what the reward looks like. So, so, so the family's restored and we go to Genesis 48. So the whole family's there, Joseph and all of his brothers and his dad. And it says, and Joseph took them both, his two sons. You see, we know that there's the 12 tribes of Israel, but Israel only had 10 kids. So he brought in Joseph's two firstborns to be a part of the tribe of 12. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel. Joseph wanted his father to bless him. And Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right. A little confusing. But Israel reached out his right hand and placed it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head. So here's how people named children back in the Old Testament. They named them, gave them identity based off of situation, based off of what they meant to them in relation to God in that moment. Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn. Manasseh's name literally means God has made me forget all my trouble. God has made me forget all my trouble and all of my father's household. Ephraim is God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph, firstborn, firstborn, he says, you, you are the goodness of God that's caused me to forget all the hardship that's happened to me. It's you. Ephraim, my secondborn, you are the one that's enabled me to be fruitful in my affliction. Now here's what's powerful. Here's what's real powerful. Jacob was giving a blessing to those kids. And instead of having his right hand on Manasseh, the firstborn, who's forget, he flips it. The Bible's so prophetic. (laughs) Joseph was so mad. But what God was trying to say was that it's greater. It's greater to be fruitful in your affliction than it is to just forget. It's greater. We want to forget. We want to let go. When, when hardship happens, all you want to do is run. All you want to do is get out of it. It's too much. I can't handle it. I want to go. But it's greater to say, I can't handle it, but I'm not going to move. I ask you to come into it. Come into my struggle and my affliction. Come into there. And then, after, forget. And so, as a church, not just this church, but the church in general, Christianity, I think, I think when hardship comes, all we can think is, I just got to get out of it. I just have to get out. It's too much for me to handle. Try raising kids in this generation. It's hard. It's hard right now. I want out. I want ease. And the thing is, is if, if God gave Joseph ease, his character, his perseverance, his strength, his integrity, his godliness would not have been there when he needed it. So we don't like it. But my encouragement to you is even though you may have been hurt, even though something may have happened that caused you a great deal of pain, God says, bring me into it. 
Call him into it. Not get me out of it. Bring me in the middle of it. Amen? Amen. So let's jump into Paul. Now, a lot of us know him as Paul the Apostle. You don't hear a lot of folks being like, yeah, it's Saul the Apostle. Yeah, Saul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. No, Paul did. But you know who had a time, tough time forgetting Saul? Was Saul. See, we look at Paul, it's really easy to look at the good and to look at the fruit. I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Right, this man was beaten, this man was imprisoned, this man went before the kings, this man never gave up. It says in the Bible that he's died, got brought back to life, beaten. I mean, this is Paul, he's absolutely amazing, right? But what we don't look at is what he had to deal with in order to walk in that. You see, the Bible says in Acts 9, 1 through 2, it says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He even asked for letters from the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them back into shackles in Jerusalem. Paul was a murderer like Stalin was or Mao. He just gives the command and and, and they get killed. We see him before this as they're stoning Stephen. He gave the command, tell me, Tell me, convince me that Paul didn't have nightmares about it. Convince me that as he was walking in the goodness of God, that he didn't think about the church that he persecuted, the people he put in prison, the people that he executed, the people that he stoned, the people that he robbed of life. Tell me he didn't feel that. He had to get over his. But what's different is Joseph, he didn't do anything to earn it. Paul did. The prisoner is different altogether. The prisoner is there because of your own doing. It's your own fault. You know it's your fault. You know you shouldn't have done it. And you live in regret. Paul lived in regret. It was hard for him. But this is what makes Paul so amazing. You see, Saul was first sent as a murderer before Paul was sent to preach salvation. Saul was first a persecutor of the church before Paul became the establisher of the church. Saul was first sent to imprison those of the way before Paul was in prison breaking chains in worship. Some of us can't get past our own Saul, our own past. And so we are tied to that and we're unable to walk in the newness of who we're called to be. I think the biggest struggle for us as Christians isn't at times like stopping habits or not cussing or, or, you know, not doing lewd things. I think the toughest thing for us as Christians is knowing how to walk in the new you. The the, the new you is forgiven. The new you is righteous 24-7. Even in the middle of struggle, you're righteous. Because Jesus exchanged with you. So it's understanding that that I am right with God. And learning how to walk in that power that I'm not going to get stuck on these things that have held me back for years. I'm just going to walk forward in the newness of who God called me to be. Right, because my Bible said that he's forgotten as far as the east is the west, so far as the transgressions of those, right? You go to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul means this. This isn't false humility. I used to read this as false humility. I'm like, come on, Paul. You're better than this. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit 
to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He knew it. It's, it's all over in his writings. He carried that with him. Some of you are carrying with you your past into your new identity. You're carrying old you into new you. Old you is dead. He's on the cross. He's been hung. He's gone. He ain't there anymore. Paul knew that, but he penned this for us to know the same about ourselves. That it says, but by the grace of God, I am not what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You see, Paul knew how to live in this space where it was like, yeah, I recognize. <clears throat> I recognize that I was evil. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. In the church, we don't know how to live in both worlds. Christians, we really struggle with this. Well, am I wicked or am I, am I godly? Am I, am I a sinner or am I sinless? Because if I look at my life, at times I don't, I mean, I yell at the kids, kick the dog, but yet, but yet I'm graceful to the, mercy, to, 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 to the sinner. Like, how do I straddle that? Like, Paul is wrestling with that right in front of us right here. In his writings, he wrestles with this so that we can see what the end outcome is. He's trying to help you wrap your mind around the fact that, yes, you can have a wicked past, but you're a new creation in Christ. Yes, you can have some things that you truly do regret that may have carried themselves forward into the new you. But by the grace of God, you are who God says you are. And it's his grace in you that will be with you to accomplish these things. Because no matter how hard you try, you just can't shake it. Try shaking your past off. Yep. I really did that person wrong. I stole. I murdered. Hated in my head. I took advantage of people. I'm a horrible person. But yet, recognize what's in the past has passed. It's past. P-A-S-S-E-D. It's past. It's gone. It's gone. It's behind you. Amen? 1 Timothy 1.13. This is another one. He's trying to encourage Timothy, encourage the church. He says, even though I was once previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. It's okay. Can I, can I just, it's okay. You fell short. It's okay. I'm not advocating for you to go out and sin. I'm saying it's okay that you did. The grace and the mercy and his blood is sufficient. Now move forward. And by the grace of our Lord Jesus, more abundant with the faith and love that are in him. It's a trustworthy statement deserving of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul, you're making me blush. He knew he was the worst. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me, the foremost sinner in Jesus Christ, he might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe. Recognize that when you cover up the depth of your sin, you're now, you're, you're now limiting the ability for others to be able to see and demonstration of God's love. Let's not shortchange Jesus here. Let's be real. You didn't just go to first base, okay? Stop sugarcoating for your own self and for others' sake. Let go. 
let go. It's okay. It really is. That's what Paul's trying to say. It, it's okay. I know what happened. But recognize that, that when we can come to a place where we say, this is not who I am. It may have been who I was. I'm the new me. But I will, I will speak to this, not from a place of, 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 of feeling unworthy, but I'll speak to this place to say, I know you're there. And if you are there, let me help you because it's God's grace and his mercy that will be demonstrated in your life that will enable somebody else to be free. Amen? This is our call. That's why he gives us the keys. There's no keys here. But that's, that's the reason why he wants you to have that. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward towards what lies ahead. So behind and ahead. Come up here. I'm just gonna do a quick little demonstration there. Jared will be the muscles again. Come on over here, Bob. Okay, so just reach out your hand to Jared. <coughs> See, this, this is what Paul's talking about. This is the past. Paul's saying, look, you, you can't even begin to move forward until you let go. Because every time you want to move forward, like, I want to move forward. I heard a great message. I'm inspired by God. I'm motivated. I want to do it. I want to walk out this whole Christian thing. I want to do it. Try to walk. You can't. You, 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 can't. You, you are stuck at the date of sin. You wonder why some people never, ever move forward. My wife, the first time she met my dad, when my dad found out that my wife's date of birth was my mom's birthday also, he just sat there and cried. She's like, it's like he never moved forward from 15 years ago losing your mother. It's because he never let go. Some of us are trying to get ahead in life and you never let go. You have not allowed yourself the ability to let the blood of Jesus sufficiently wash and cover that sin and deal with it so you can make a choice to move forward. Now let go. Some of us are in this spot. We've, we've let go. All right. I let go of my past. I let go of those people who hurt me, whether it's captive or prisoner. I made a choice. I let go. I'm not going to live there. I chose to let go. But you never move forward. So you're still there, tied to that wound, that offense, that pain. You're still there. You have to take the next step, which is to choose to move forward. Thank you, guys. This, this is your call. You see, some of us have been hurt by others, and we can't move forward. I'm, I'm convinced of it. I've been in the Christian family for too long, seen too many people who are stuck in date and time to a pain that's happened to them. That's just the truth. You're stuck and you can't get yourself out. And the only way for you to get out is you gotta, you gotta let go. Paul's like, I gotta let go. I gotta let go. You have to make a conscious choice, right? No one else can choose this for you. Like I wanna put you in the driver's seat today 
to say that it's up to you to make a choice to let go so that you can move forward. You can't wait for them to call you. You can't wait for them to apologize. You can't wait for them to say, you know, I heard a great message. I'm really sorry I hurt you. That day may never come. And you may be tied here forever, missing out on the best part of your life. But this is what God's calling us to do. We have to let go because Jesus made a choice. He says, not, not, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was willing to become the prisoner. You know that? He became prisoner for the prisoners. He became your prisoner. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll actually pay the bail for your sin. He became prisoner and, and, and also captive. Tell me that Jesus doesn't know what it's like to have himself hurt, taken advantage of, destroyed, whipped, beaten, sent to the cross for nothing that he did wrong. Innocent. And yet we have the nerve just to, to, to wait. I can't move forward. They hurt me. I can't move forward. It's too much. I can't move forward. It hurts too much. I can't revisit. I can't go there. And yet Jesus demonstrated that you can. You just have to call him into it. You see, you need a strength enhancement. What happens when Jesus comes into that situation is you get his supernatural power that when people have done you wrong, he's like, I know what that's like when you've been taken advantage of and blasphemed and hurt by people. He's like, I know what that's like. Now get on my shoulders and I'm going to carry you out of this thing. And you're going to get the rewards and the blessing and the benefit as if you did the fight yourself. You see... The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, my wife wants me to get tattoos. <laughs> That's not what the verse says. She wants me. She wants me all tatted up. She wants me to get a sleeve. She's like, oh, it's so sexy. I haven't done it yet. I keep telling her I got to get in better shape. But, but if there was a verse that I would slap all over me, that I would say, just draw me up, go all over. Certain areas, no. All over is 2 Corinthians 5.21. See, the Bible says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that you might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Every excuse has been dealt with. There's no reason not to walk free. That's the good news. It ain't the decent news, it's the good news. And the enemy will keep you here as long as you allow him to keep you there. But Jesus says, he who's been set free is free indeed. You're free. So it doesn't really matter, and I'm not trying to downplay it, what has happened to you. It doesn't really matter what you did. It's all been dealt with in the same form and fashion. And Jesus says, walk free walk free we'll go one step further because I know you guys love it Psalms 32 oh this is a good one this is a good one this is David How you? I mean if you know David David is a sinner he's, he's a good one I mean a real good sinner he's a murderer an adulterer 
you name it. He, he's bad. And yet here he is prophesying about you and me. He was prophesying about us. The Spirit of God came on David and he authors this future speaking, prophetic, just for us saying, I wish I could be in those days. These are the days. We're in them right now. It says, oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. In the Old Testament, it wasn't removed, it was covered. In the New Testament, it's removed. It's gone. Jesus says it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, it is gone. Yes, what a joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. You no longer have to be guilty. You don't have to be. Make your choice. Leave it at the altar today. For those whose lives are completely honest, I love that. When I refused to confess my sin, my body washed away, waste away, and I groaned all night long. Have you been there? You toss and turn in bed. You carry it. You feel it. Have you been there? Oh, man. Grief, guilt, weight. It's physiologically straining on you. It's heavy. Day and night, your hand of discipline was on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally, I confess my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. Just stop. Just stop. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Anybody want some guilt off? Anybody want some weight off? Anybody want to dump dump your garbage at the front? Anybody want to feel more free? I mean, that's what this is supposed to be. I don't know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that if anyone's in Christ, good news here, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. You're not an old toy in a new wrapper. You're brand new in a brand new box. You're brand new, untouched. Psalms 110 says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. God is calling you right now calling you right now right now drop off all the guilt all the weight and make the enemy your footstool your footstool that means you're beneath me all that's happened to me and that I've done is before me and now all I have left is to walk in the fullness of joy that God's called me to walk into and then I'm going to be like Joseph come on I'm going to be like Joseph And I am going to look at my life not through the lens of what happened to me. And I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to allow myself to stay there anymore. I'm going to move forward. Come on, we're going to sing this last song. We're going to sing this last song. Have your moment with Jesus. Drop your baggage. Leave your guilt here in the house. Leave your shame here in the house. Jesus actually wants it.